You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. It is a real treat for me to be here to serve you. It's been a little while. We also have quite a lot to cover, connecting you again with our mega theme of the entire year about more. But as we'll see, that idea isn't just a theme. It is certainly God's ambition for more in you and through you. But before we get into it, let's pray and get underway. Lord, as always, I ask you take these words and that you will anoint them and you will fill them with life and power, that this will become a revelation, not just information that we discard, but a revelation that will indeed draw us nearer, take us closer to you, and that you will have more of us that you can work in and through. We believe you would love that to happen, so we commit our time to you with expectation in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, go ahead and put the board up on the screen for your viewing pleasure. Now, don't let all of that text, as I always say, daunt you. I will walk you through it from left to right because I find it a little easier when we've got a, a good, thick, chewy message that uh, being able to review it and uh, reference the board will help along the way. Uh, you know, the idea of more here is a great follow-on from our conversation about uh, becoming soul-fit. I really appreciated Pastor Paul launching that series because you know, uh, as a man who has labored for more than 35 years in ministry, specializing in addressing the inner world of the soul and not just in serving others, but having to practice what I preach, I found that series very refreshing, challenging, and a kind of a good medical checkup, if you will, about the status of my soul. And in a very distracting world, sometimes it's good to pause and reflect. But following on from that, the idea of your soul fitness very much does play out with this attitude of more. So we'll look at the soul and what's worked for me in these four decades of journeying with God in my own life to encourage you in yours. But to begin the conversation, starting on the left-hand side here, again, God loves more. That is how he has built the universe to work. The universe started small. It is expanding still. Add to that on a smaller scale, look at it like this. God designs into life the idea of more. So the little apple tree seed falls to the ground and it then begins to germinate. It does not produce another seed. It produces a tree of fruit with many seeds for many more trees. So God designs this idea of more. It isn't a prosperity message. It isn't a message about material more. But there is much more God would attribute to the idea of more. More welfare for your soul. More increase and prosperity for your psychological, emotional, and relational world. So let's not be cynical in thinking that we're only pointing to the idea of a material prosperity of more. But it couldn't hurt if God did bring blessing and more. But let's not limit even the idea of a man-woman relationship. They are married and out of their union, life is produced where the two elements join. And they do not just produce two more elements. Two plus two does not make four. But two plus two makes 30 trillion more cells. Independent functioning cells united by a DNA. One other human being is 30 trillion cells operating together. Amazing, isn't it? 
And then even the idea of Jesus, the seed of God, sown into the earth. One man's life sown into the earth produced 2.5 billion more that are alive right now. And who knows how many prior to are tabulating the number and how many more yet will exist in the future in God's heart and mind. So one produced much more. Amazing, isn't it? So this idea of more comes from God, but certainly he wants more um, in us, more of us, more through us. Would you agree with that idea? But we want to take a look at staying in sync with God that that can be achieved. Now this is a message really for those who are believers in this room who have said yes to God's offer of salvation. If you do not yet know him that way, there is more for you. We'll get to that in a moment. But for those of us who are in a journey with God, as I always like to qualify, I'm not talking to us today about earning his love or our salvation or righteousness. This is not that message. This is about removing obstacles that interfere and with intention we align. It's especially about the idea of integrity. Because, you know, we can have investment and we can have intention. Good intention. But generally the third element missing to seeing more accomplished is the issue of integrity. Integrity meaning wholeness. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about the issue of integrity here. The world is full of well-intentioned people. Church culture too. My own ambition, my good intention toward God can be hijacked or interfered with if the issue of integrity is also not brought up to speed. And so the world, too, is full of talented people in the world of business or, say, popular culture. But if they do not demonstrate integrity, then wealth and fame, all of that possibility can be hijacked and driven into a ditch. Is that true? So the issue of integrity here doesn't mean living perfectly. We can't achieve that. But we can live with much more intention and collaboration with God that it go well with us and then through us where more can be accomplished. So this is that kind of a checkup, following on from the soul fitness campaign of our previous series, but also as a key unlocking more, let's take a look in my own life where I've had to answer these questions. And perhaps the questions I'm presenting here right now are, are questions the Spirit is asking of you. Maybe I'm in an ambush moment with you where the Holy Spirit will flip on a light, and in that moment of ambush, you'll see Him highlighting something. He tends to do that. Look over here, and then He gets you. Um, it could be, though, that I'm only articulating what the Lord has been speaking to you already. And though I don't know the personal notes of your life, God does. And how typically he will underscore a message that way to let you know, I see you, you matter to me, and I'm giving you an awareness that guides you because you matter to me. So let's just take a look at what's worked in my life. I can only tell you what has. You know, I, I like being 200 years old now because this, as I've often said, gives me the gift of retrospect where I look back over my life. So while I don't know it all, I've learned these lessons. I've had to answer these questions, and I still do. So hopefully in my journey, that will encourage you in yours. So the first question here, am I keeping clear and clean? Fact is, you... Get your inner world reasonably balanced with God, and then you turn the corner, turn the channel, or turn online, and there's something that can slime, defile, and provoke. 
And even if you're not provoked in the external world, there's stuff that bubbles up from history and humanity. As you've often heard me say, you know the blood of Jesus washes away the guilt but 10 minutes after you're born again, you realize he does not wash away memory and history and human vulnerability. You have to reckon. And what shame tends to do, especially in religious culture, where I was taught growing up that Christians shouldn't have <gasps> struggles like that. Why? That makes you bad. God must be mad and that makes you run away from God. But if I'm going to go forward and experience much more that he has, more than the defiling ditch he found me in, if I'm going to go forward and master this part of my life that would compete with his lordship, I'm going to have to clear the obstacles between me and God. And while he has paved a way in Christ for that, I have to walk on that paved way Christ has afforded me and run to God not from him and that's why my soul is not intended to live in shame it is not designed to live in a constant state of guilt or humiliation or regret and therefore if there's something in me haunting me from the past or something more immediately in my world and if it has become an interference between me and God then I think the Holy Spirit would not want me to have to bear that weight bear that burden and deal with that barrier he would want me to run to him rather than from him and not let shame or guilt become a barrier between us would you agree with that idea for your friend so to help me keep my conscience clear and clean, whether it's the echo of some past or whether it's a present issue that trips me up, some failure on my part in attitude or deed or word, I don't have to live and grovel in some shame posture. I can get up and in confidence in God's character run to him, the one who makes me clean. I've shared with you before how when I first was born again and struggling in my thought life with things that really humiliated me and I used to beat myself up thinking I'm a bad Christian and here God saves me from sin and, th and this is how I cheapen his grace with this battle. And so it really was in a, well, I was in this kind of a, trapped by shame posture until the Holy Spirit one day kind of broke into my thinking. Again, this is at a time decades ago when we didn't have these honest conversations. There weren't testimonials. There weren't support groups. There weren't places you could turn and take off your mask and find empathy and understanding. There was a religious culture that put across the idea, at least in my world, that you should be above and beyond that. You've got the victory, thus you'd better not have anything else. And so this made me feel very discouraged to have this ongoing battle till the Spirit broke through and said, Sai, why don't you do the one thing with those thoughts and attitudes and struggles you have? Why don't you do the one thing you've never done before? What's that, Lord? Why don't you run to me and admit them and submit them rather than running from me? It changed my life. And God ceased to be a judge and became an advocate, an empathizer. What is that beautiful verse where it is written about our Lord in Hebrews chapter 4? That we have a high priest who stands in the gap on our behalf. And he does this willingly because he has an empathy for our plight. He's been a human, shared our experience, tempted in every way. He gets what we're up against. And therefore we can approach his throne of grace and expect to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. If that's not an invitation to run to him, I don't know what is. And therefore I pray practice what I call the sacrament of confession regularly. Now, I used to be an Anglican pastor. I am married to a woman from a Catholic tradition. And I am well aware of the sacrament of confession in those cultures. But in much of the modern evangelical world, we don't employ that kind of language. 
Sacrament simply means a routine part and parcel of your relationship journey with God and that you practice it with an intentionality. And I don't know about you, but I recognize there is a need for me to wash off. There's a need for me to clean off. There's a need for me to clean out the dark corner in my soul. I don't need to have that dark corner. In fact, how can I be a whole person if I'm living a compartmentalized life? Where over here there is this secret with Satan that interferes with my ability to live in integrity. And therefore, I've got to keep a clear pathway between me and God. I may not have to get up and blab my dirt in front of everybody. I may not want to go and tell it to my friend or post about it online. I may need wisdom and discretion in that regard. But surely I can turn to God in some corner of my soul and let light shine where the light is absent and where there is some darkness or some hindrance or some haunting. I can allow God to address that and be Lord over it rather than it being a barrier between me and God. Because his shoulders are broad, his heart is big, and there's nothing going on in our world that he is already not aware of. But we want to have a confidence in his character and bring that into the light that its power is broken and the secret with Satan is dealt with a fatal blow. That's why I tie the idea of confessing sin with hope in his character because that's what's really required. And hope in his character is what we call faith. And therefore... My response here I see in Scripture is, if, and there's where God honors my autonomy, He honors my will, He honors me being the one to make the choice. He has made a provision, He has given me an empathetic invitation, I have to act on it. Therefore, if I will confess my sin, my weakness, my fault, my failure, if I will confess my sin, He is faithful and just, even if I'm not, He is, and He will, not maybe, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness not just in the big picture sense that we are now his but even in the daily dirt we walk through he will wash our feet and make us clean if we will be confident in his character so if you are in the room today and there's something in your life that I'm speaking to as I mentioned this that triggers you that makes you feel like yes that's true what you're saying about my life pastor Si then what does it say here in Psalm 43 don't be downcast but put your hope in the character of God. He has begun a good work. He knows how to bring you through. He can make you clean. He can forgive any and everything. But don't let the thing be the barrier between you and God. Let it be the thing that propels you toward God. Keeping clear and clean gives God the chance to work through our lives. And we can experience much more than the burden of shame and guilt. Amen? Secondly, sigh, who are you listening to? Who am I listening to? My soul can be so misled. And there are so many voices swirling around us. We live in a media of a civilization, for heaven's sake. And its imagery and its sounds are powerful to our brain. And we are captured by media information. And, and then, of course, we live in an age of social media where every opinion that a human can have is posted continually around the planet. And in major issues where maybe we're looking for answers for ourselves or a family situation or a colleague issue, we're looking to hear wisdom from someone. But there are many points of view. But at the end of the day, above the fray, there's one opinion that matters above them all. 
and I need to bear down on that opinion. Because can I say, human opinion is fickle and it changes. What was hot and valued 10 years ago will not be 10 years from now. That's the way humanity works. And so times and cultures change. What's considered wrong in one season and affirmed in another can change yet again. So I've got to bear down what's the tr transcendent, loving God's wisdom on situations that challenge my life. I have to find out. So while it's one thing to gather the opinions of others, sometimes that's very worthwhile to hear what this person thinks or this person I trust has a view. Uh, it's one thing to do that uh, gathering at the end of the day, who is helping me make my decision? Because at the end of the day, I have to be anchored in something above culture, humanity, and its limited perspectives. Therefore, who am I listening to? Knowing I can be misled, and knowing it is important that I align with God, to me, my ultimate filter is His Word. Because while times and cultures change, either God inspired the Word, either it is still authoritative, either it will still give me illumination, conviction, wisdom, guidance, instruction, and admonition, or it won't. And therefore, because I believe that God who allowed its words to be inspired, even if through frail humans, he got the essence of what he wanted conveyed. And while some things are straightforward in the word and some have to be chewed through and study, at the end of the day, I go back to the word of God as my ultimate anchor. Trusting the character of God to have worked through time and culture to communicate essential things to me that help govern and guide my life. This said... On some issues, I need more than just a casual read or today's app devotional. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you need more. More study. Study. And for me, you know, when I was first born again, one of the great challenges of my life was the struggle I had with anxiety. Life-controlling, panic-attack-inducing anxiety. And... Uh, you know, God did not just intervene in my life when I was born again and zap me with the magic wand and take all that away. It would have been so convenient. No, I had to learn. I had to deal with it the long play way. And so for me, God did not intervene and remove fear as an issue in my life, but I learned about my humanity, and then I learned about the character of God, and this gave me understanding not only about dealing with me in light of God, but it gave me empathy for my audiences I serve, that if you struggle, then don't give up in God's character. Because I have learned of God, and I have learned that I am not a five-year-old victim anymore, and I have learned that God will show up and help me, and therefore I have learned these things because He didn't take it away, but I had to bear down and discover more about the issue from science and Scripture, and then apply it and live it after having learned it. Now, having said this, I love not only studying the Word. Oh, and for example, sometimes that study involves finding out where you are and what you're thinking and getting a bit of a reality check. You know, I've told this story before, but it, it serves our point here. You know, being that I was a person bound by much anxiety, I will never forget the day I walked into a ministry building, and uh, Karen and I were working together in this place at that time, and, and uh, I was walking through this particular uh, room to get to where Karen's office was, and I walked past this man who did not acknowledge me. And just sat there, and I walked on through, and I got to Karen. I said, I don't know what I did. I must have offended him. I mean, he, he, he didn't even acknowledge me. What have I done? And anxiety began to grip me. And then Karen said, honey, he's 98, and he's deaf. 
his back was to you and he, his hearing aid is over here. He didn't even know you were in the room. In other words, fear can be so distorting, but its voice is so familiar that I assume I'm assessing the situation accurately and I, I wasn't. I needed a reality check to put it in the right perspective. The Word of God does that. The Spirit of God can do that and through His people. And likewise, there was once on a plane, Karen and I are endlessly on airplanes, and once we thought this plane was going down, and at least I did. And uh, so I was, you know, just, you know, crying out, and oh God, and, and I better review the will. I hope everything's sorted, you know. And, and uh, you know, and then and, and, and I said, Karen, we're going down. This is it. This is it. And she says, okay, well, then we go get to be with the Lord Jesus. But if you're not going to eat that, can I have it? And, and what she did... What she did in that moment is that she helped break me out of my distorted perspective and realigned me with the bigger truth. And so very often I need that realignment with God. His word affords it, as does his spirit. That's why I'm a big proponent of what I call listening prayer. I did not invent the term, but I like the term. And listening prayer basically means I don't just offer up a litany of prayer requests and hope that God heard me and will bother to respond, but I wait to hear him talk to me. I, I, I expect he would speak to me. Yes, it's true. As a human being in a fallen, corrupted environment within and without, it's true. I could be deceived by my wishful thinking. There could be a mental health issue and some chemical process in my brain where I am distorting reality. It's true that there is a devil who would love to deceive me and exploit me. But in spite of these risks in a fallen world within and around me, I am designed not just to be saved to go to heaven. It's a nice perk. And I am not just saved to, to stay out of hell, another fabulous perk. I am not saved into a code of ethics or a religious system. I am saved into a relationship with God and relationship hallmark is trust and intimacy are earned through communication and a demonstration of character over time. And therefore it's not just that I talk at God. He talks back to me and I need to make time to hear him. Sometimes he speaks by his word. Sometimes he speaks through the skin of wisdom in people. Sometimes he speaks through circumstance. And certainly there is a voice I can get to know in my head that voice said. And that's not just my opinion. The Lord Jesus makes this point. John chapter 10 verse 27. My sheep know my voice and I know them. They follow me. And so maybe the voice of God has not been something you've been trained in some previous religious culture to consider experiencing or seeking. It is true. We have to measure it. That's why the Word of God gives us a filter and an anchor that whatever voice we think we hear, I always say, write it down. See what happens. The Lord spoke this to His own prophets in the Old Testament. After it comes to pass, then you'll know you heard me. So if they can doubt and second guess, fair enough. But the prophets wrote it down. So I write it down. I study it to find out how it applies in my life. I make time to listen, to realign, and then praying in the Spirit. I love this fact that, you know, years ago, even in Pentecostal churches, it became rather publicly, 
less, uh, shall we say, appropriate, it seemed at that time, to, to use our Pentecostal experience in a routine way in a church service, lest people not familiar might find that untoward. And so we were very concerned about appearances in that regard. But now we've moved beyond that, and we realize that our times require the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if He has given you a prayer language, thank God you have it, and I would say employ it. Don't put it on a shelf. Use it, even if you want in private, because there is a benefit in it. And it tells us here in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. There may be many weaknesses I have. One of them may be sometimes even knowing how I ought to pray. Yet, we do not always know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. So this idea of not only keeping clean and clear, but also tuning in. Who am I listening to? What does God's Word have to say? And am I making time for Him to respond to me? And, and shall I write it down and date it and see if I am indeed hearing the shepherd lead me forward? Learning His voice. You know, I've taught you before how research and science shows that babies' brains are wired with over 150 tones. They don't know words for quite a long time, but they recognize tone. In any continent, any language, where well, the words do not have value, the tone does. Babies are born instinctively to recognize. <laughs> and so God the Spirit begins speaking to us that way. He may not give us the Pythagorean theorem all spelled out or some big theological dissertation, but it might be this voice you're needing. Daddy sees you. Daddy loves you. And stop doing that. Daddy loves you. <laughs> so don't be anxious about anything, Sai. Present your request to me. And my peace will guard your heart and mind. So listen to me. That's Philippians chapter 4. Thirdly, am I submitting to God? You know, it's one thing to have Jesus as your Savior. It's another thing for Him to be the Lord and the Master. Not a very popular idea in the highly individualized First World West where we have a lot of power at our fingertips and with our credit card to live life our way on our terms and ask God to bless it. Problem is, God is not, you know, coming along as a caboose on our lifestyle train and we just get all this in heaven too, but rather He takes our train off our track, puts it on His track, and then He lops off our engine of will and then instead He puts His engine of Holy Spirit to influence where the train is going. Because God is authoritative and purposeful and we can trust His love and His wisdom. He is authoritarian but in the most benevolent sense. Because he has a will and an ambition, and while he respects free will and our autonomy, make no mistake, as a shepherd, shepherds take you from one thing to another, from a lesser than to a better than. And he wants that in us and also through us. So he gives us free will, and we've seen how that's ended up. And so now he asks us to align with his will, and that means a submitting I have the power to say no to you, God, but I'm electing to bow to you. I will have to bow to something. There is no neutral territory. It will be my flesh. It will be the devil. It will be popular culture. It will be someone's opinion or it will be your opinion. I bow to something. Therefore, who am I submitting to? My soul must learn, and learn is the key word. I do not have perfect submission in my life, but shall we say I'm better off than I was 40 years ago. I have come to appreciate the value 
of God being a benevolent authority in my life, a protective authority. And if anybody gets to play God in my life, it would be God. You hear people say it in the first world West. Who do you think you are telling me? Who do you think you are? God. And God would say, yes, me. Not only did I make you, I also redeemed you. And the Bible, for example, makes it clear, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that if I claim his name, he claims my body as his temple. I don't get to do what I want to with it, particularly sexually. And that's the trade-off that we should understand comes with the package that if I claim his name and salvation, he claims my life as his made clean temple. And how I live not only brings benefit or lack of it to me, but how I conduct myself and submit to his authority and wisdom brings benefit or consequence to you. Therefore, it matters. That's why the third commandment of the new covenant would basically be get baptized. First commandment, position God first. Not if you feel it, but knowing who he is. If you love me, you'll do what I ask. Jesus said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? The ones who find out God's will and they do it. Not the ones who feel it. Quite often, I don't always feel it. But in spite of how I feel, I choose to do what aligns me with God's wisdom. Aligning with his purposes and authority. That it go well with me and through me. Therefore, I have a, almost a 40-year journey with God and a global ministry and a marriage of 35 years and I'm a daddy and I'm a granddaddy because I put that into practice. I live a different life than had I bowed to flesh versus God. So the outworking is very pragmatic in my life and God has given me much more than I crucified. So when I think of the second commandment, that is value your neighbor... If I'm submitting to God's authority, then I will not exploit you. I will not seduce you. I will not manipulate you. It has a practical outworking in healthy relationship. And add to that, the third commandment would be, be baptized. It's not sold to us in the writings of Scripture like it's the third commandment, but we deduce it as we read. Go into the world, Matthew chapter 28, disciple all nations and baptize them in my authority and purpose. Jesus, his very first public act, was not repenting as a sinner and being baptized. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was baptizing people who were returning to God out of some pagan wandering, some prodigal walk away from God. They were now returning to God and they were repenting of their past and now they were realigning with God, submitting to his authority, submitting to his purpose and they were baptized as a public rite, an initiation act, letting everybody know this is what I'm doing now. I am I'm submitting myself to God. Jesus did not have to repent of sin to be baptized, but he was still his very first act in public ministry, publicly stating before others that I too am submitting myself to God's authority and purpose. And three years later, when finally his public ministry was coming to a conclusion, as his crucifixion was approaching with dawn, Jesus in that dark garden of Gethsemane, under the temptation of his life to indulge his flesh rather than crucify it, he confessed honestly to God, I don't want to go through with that crucifixion. Take this cup away from me. However, I want what you want more. And because he bowed to God's authority and purpose, we sit in this room as redeemed people. That's where submission plays out in big outcome. God got more. One man submitted. Just like one man failed to submit in one garden, another man submitted in another garden. And we are here redeemed today. 
our submission matters. So when I think of submission, there's where we get terms in Scripture like denying self and crucifying flesh. My flesh will always tug against what God wants, and I have yet the authority to bow to God and crucify that flesh that I master it instead of it mastering me. I know what it was like to be mastered by my flesh, but I like the greater freedom I enjoy. God gave me more by wrangling my flesh as I bowed to Him. And two, when I think of crucifying carnality, that can include fasting. Isaiah chapter 58 explains to us the potent power, the value, the benefit of fasting in releasing people from bondage, in bringing the power of God, in paving a way for the Spirit's influence apart from that of flesh. And therefore, it's not surprising that fasting is part of our way of life in the family of faith. And it doesn't always have to mean a dietary fast, but it can mean fasting other things too, like, no, I will not spend this much money on that thing. No, I instead will do this with it. Or no, I, I will not go on social media. I went on almost a two-year fast of social media. And, and because, uh, because of its pressure and because of the things that social media can mean, I just went on a fast because I can have a life without it. It doesn't tell me what to do. I tell it how I'm going to live my life. And therefore, there are other ways you might need, you might need to fast a, a particular situation or fast a kind of a relationship. But it's where you are basically saying, I align myself with you, God, and I will have no other master but you. No to that, yes to you. And out of that, we cultivate self-control over mind and body over time that we can become responsible stewards that we don't interfere with God's best in us, for us, and through us to the world. We are aligned. That's the outcome. That's the protective benefit of submission. Finally here, and there is a finally this morning, but before we get to it, this verse from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is not the only verse with this idea, but especially the entire verse. I've given you an abbreviated version here. But Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 24 is really something, uh, you know, all of us would be really uh, benefited from reading. But here's the idea. In responding to submission to God, sigh, walk habitually. That is like a reflex, like a default, like a practiced effort that's now part of you. Sigh, walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. And then you will certainly not carry out the desire of the sinful nature which responds impulsively without regard for God and His precepts. In other words, instead of trying to stop all the wrong thing, why not exercise the right thing? And the rest will probably follow in due course. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions. Maybe we could say crucifying flesh with its passions. I don't know that I could put the ED in a permanent sense there, but at least that's the mark I'm aiming toward. That I live a life in the driver's seat, yielded and aligned with the Spirit, so that flesh does not control, but God walks me forward. Finally, in walking forward, am I connected in God's family? My soul requires and prospers when I am connected in healthy relating. Now, coming from a history where I was very wounded and wary, even of church culture and Christians, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit prevailed upon me and helped me get on into church. 
because I, all my judgments and accusations against Christian people, they proved to really have no merit. People in my church loved me and invested in me and mentored me and groomed me and helped me grow that I could be on this platform today, anchored, knowing who I am in God's purposes, having a sense of value. And so I know that sometimes a dysfunctional history is not the place you can go to have your soul nourished. And sometimes at the office, well, it's a competitive, combative marketplace out there, and that may not give you much validation either. And if you're a uni student, you may find that people mock your values. That's not going to be a safe corner of camaraderie. But this is that safe corner. But it may be more than just a Sunday morning that can serve your need. It may be that as we gather here and worship, it's nice to say, hi, have a nice day. But if your cup is still needing topped up, that's why we have home group, connect group, support group. That's why these pathways exist where deeper needs can be served, where you don't have to run out to the pub. You don't have to depend on your secular mates. That God's family should be a safe corner where you are valued just as you are, but mentored forward into much, much more. That is what worked for me. So I'm glad I didn't let my wounded, wary fear of judgment stop me. I got so much more by staying connected. And having been around the block a while, it's true I've been burned. I've been betrayed. I've had people hurt me and say mean things. And that's the Christians. Forget the pagan world. But you know what? God never suggested we're a perfect family, but we are an eternal family. From many tribes and cultures brought together into one table because of Christ. And there I find so much more that works in my favor than has ever worked against it. So I'm glad I've pushed through. And that said, maybe it's true for you. Maybe in addition to a connect group or even a support group, you might find great benefit in therapy. Therapy is just the Greek word that says to walk alongside someone and help them in their journey. Sometimes we need that specific kind of guidance that God dresses up in skin of informed counsel. I think, you know, at our Life Central campus, we had one of our pastors share in her own journey how she had really come through a difficult season of her husband's specialized training requiring her and her young family to move seven times in like a four-year window. It was very stressful to endure, even though it was God and she knew it, didn't make it easy. But in that, that stress like a crucible brought stuff up from within her soul that might not have otherwise been challenged and God did not show her those things to shame her God showed her hey here's a place where we can meet and these needs can be served at last and indeed she sought out professional therapy that therapist didn't need to see her for 15 years but just a few sessions to help her find clarity empowerment and a roadmap forward to deal with it so it didn't deal with her there's no shame in wanting that outcome. I think God loves to dress himself up in skin to walk alongside us and encourage us in our journey. And therefore, that's why it says to us in Hebrews 10, therefore, don't forsake gathering together. Why? Not for services and sermons, but more importantly, what they serve, to exhort one another on. Because life is tough and we need that encouragement. Add to it, it doesn't have to be in a mega church. In fact, I, I look at the book of Acts, there was the mega church and then there was the little home group. And throughout the book of Acts, you would see the family of faith gathering in a hostile culture they lived in, gathering for camaraderie and to meet practical needs and to encourage one another and pray for each other. Our needs haven't changed in that regard. And the Lord makes the point in Matthew 18, even where two or three of you gather in my name, I am, not maybe, I am 
present. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.